Welcome to the Mental Models Podcast. I'm George Baxter, and I'm a hedge fund manager for SaberPoint Capital Management. I'm Dan Krawczyk. I'm a neuroscientist and professor at the University of Texas at Dallas. And together we explore mental models. That is how we view the world and what the world gives us for feedback. It's not a brain in a jar. That's the gist. If you've been enjoying episodes of the Mental Models podcast, you'd likely enjoy reading Understanding Behavioral Bias, A Guide to Improving Financial Decision Making. George and I co-authored this book, Merging Our Knowledge, to provide you with an authoritative guide where our money-related biases come from and also what we can do about them. Material from Understanding Behavioral Bias is now included within the legendary Harvard Case Studies content library. Harvard Case Studies is widely used across the worlds of finance and business, and it's recognized as being one of the top repositories of leading-edge financial content. The book is available in both print and Kindle versions on Amazon. So buy it, read it, and improve your process. Welcome back to the Mental Models Podcast. Yes, uh, we're going to talk today a little bit about bubbles again, and uh, we talked about this topic in uh, mid-January. Yeah, episode Understanding Bubbles, and been a couple months. We're recording this in March of 2021. So good time to check how things are moving on that front. <laughs> and always with uh, bubbles, a couple of months uh, can encompass a couple of years worth of stock performance. I'm sure there's a lot of drama and a lot of emotion in this past uh, 60 days. It certainly was. So in the first you know, really week after the, po- the last podcast came out, uh, the bubble in EV stocks and a number of other stocks uh, associated with retail investors went crazy. And there was massive appreciation. Some of these stocks went up well over 100% uh, within a couple of weeks. Needless to say, uh, at SaberPoint, we had relatively modest positions that were short these and uh, ended up having our worst month uh, that we've ever had as they went straight up in a parabolic fashion. Uh, It was interesting because it was also, I think, related to the fiscal stimulus, the first fiscal fiscal stimulus that we saw earlier this year that coincided with uh, the $600 fiscal stimulus that went straight into people's accounts. I think a lot of that money ended up in the stock market in retail investors' uh, accounts. You know, they had the benefit of being able to see uh, how well people did earlier in the year when they in 2020 when uh, the initial stimulus was sent out, which I believe was $1,200. Yeah, and we've talked about that a number of times in the past year, the, uh, the stimulus and uh, the lack of betting that was available without races and sporting events in 2020 for a long time and how that money was getting sort of sent into the markets and causing a lot more moving parts unpredictability than there would have been before. So that continues on. It does. It does. Uh, Interesting thing that happened, though, uh, when the stimulus initially came out, I believe it was in April of 2020, the first one. And uh, the rally that we saw in things like cruise lines and airlines, uh, they went parabolically higher and it came to an end in June. And the pattern here seems pretty similar. Uh, I believe you had the stimulus checks come out uh, in late December, uh, early January. And we saw a pretty significant rise in the market, you know, over the next several weeks. Um, and, you know, the more speculative areas, those areas that are more trafficked among retail investors. Uh, and then it died out here in the last couple of weeks. 
Uh, and we actually saw a significant retracement, particularly in the EV bubble that we talked about in mid-January. Those stocks, on average, are now down uh, 42% uh, from their prior peak. And uh, it's interesting. We've done a fair amount of work looking at prior bubbles, but I think it's a little bit risky to rely upon the historical examples because uh, we do have these this new round of stimulus that just got passed in the Senate this weekend and uh, should be finalized through the reconciliation process and the House of Representatives. Uh, and will you know it's it's larger than either of the previous two direct payments. Right. And that's in the context, if you listen back to episode 67, where you talked about how that it was an unprecedented bubble of EV that was just the bubble of all bubbles, if you compare it historically to almost anything. So anytime you're, you're at a unique point in history, relying on the past and typical cycles is, is dangerous. And then add in these fiscal stimuli and you've got even more um, extra kind of momentum that's going to be shot into these these uh, scenarios yeah the cautious way to play this one you know you know typically i'm talking about taking advantage of the short opportunity that creates when you when you have assets that are being bid up largely driven by emotion and narrative uh that ultimately do exhaust themselves uh, one of the differences now is that you've had significant losses that people have incurred uh, from the prior peak so I think the character of the bubble that we saw in January, where it was literally just straight up, that may be different this time around. As people you know, remember having lost money this latest run up, so it may be more turbulent. It's hard to predict sentiment, isn't it? And, and we've talked about this a number of times in the last uh, 12 months or so, that a lot of people entering... The market had never really experienced downturns and hadn't experienced pain and had had to come to grips with that. And so there was a lot of enthusiasm and uh, the anticipation is they would eventually start to feel some pain and uh, become once bitten, twice shy. But uh, I also feel like there are people who uh, have more of a, a risk tolerance and even a, a risk chasing sort of mentality and, and such people may go back. I think that's very likely that we'll see a bounce. But the question is, is how much follow through will there be? And on the other side, you know, it's all supply and demand that we have a fair amount of supply. And I mean, it could be huge. Uh, if you think about a lot of a lot of the nexus for interest in these types of stocks is around uh, the Wall Street bets Reddit board and uh, that board started 2020 with about 400,000 followers. Uh, as of today, I just looked, uh, there's 9.5 million. Uh, and in January, uh, you know, we, you, we saw it jump from something like 7 million to 8.5 million. Uh, so just a huge increase. Picking up momentum as it goes. So it, what even happened in early to mid 2020 might not be a a very similar situation to now. That's right. And, you know, it's more widespread. Typically what happens with bubbles is uh, some people have some great success. There's a lot of focus on those people. And so their neighbors see it and they want to have, or their friends, they want to have some of that. You know, there's nothing so painful as uh, 
having a close friend uh, get really, really rich really quickly uh, for a lot of people because, you know, people tend to be status driven and they want to they want to participate. They want to be you know, they don't want to be left behind. Yeah, there's a lifestyle change that that person's going to go through and there's a fear of missing out. Yes. There's probably also some element of um, jobless rates continuing to be high and work being uncertain. And this is seen as a way to change one's fortune. Maybe sort of like I think of the cryptocurrency enthusiasm sort of has some similarities of trying to be sort of a get rich quick opportunity that can be done from the safety of your home without uh, the normal constraints of, of work. Yeah, that adds another interesting element as the vaccine has become more widespread. Right. So it's coming along quickly, for sure. At this point in time, it's it's probably worth saying for if you're listening to this this episode in, in the future, we, you know, there's there's been this long anticipated run of vaccination that would lead to herd immunity. And right now, the projection is probably somewhere around August for a reasonable amount of herd immunity. And then I've seen November as a projection where we'd be potentially like basically free of COVID if, if such a thing is possible. So that adds yet another element into the equation, how many people end up becoming employed or being a watch and bet on sporting events that were not available during the lockdown, uh, which could also affect uh, how many participants we'll see. Yeah, I guess with sport betting, I, I do think a lot of that probably has come back. But because it went into a lull, there likely would have been people who expanded into stock market uh, activity and other things. And then added to that is is this uh, the prevalence of Robin Hood and the enthusiasm over making a quick buck by by dabbling here. If we go and we think about just the the people that are on the Reddit board, nine and a half million getting $1,400 checks each. That's a little bit less than $14 billion worth of incremental capital, all going into small caps, most likely most of it going into options associated with small caps. I think that we'll see an upside move likely in these EV stocks that will provide yet another opportunity to try to take advantage from the short side. Beyond that, that, you know, that's the demand side. But on the supply side, that's also been quite staggering. Uh, so last year was the biggest dollar IPO year uh, in in U.S. stock market history. One hundred and sixty four billion dollars worth of IPOs. Eighty three billion of that were SPACs. You know these these uh, entities, special purpose acquisition companies. That was a jump from the prior rec- record year, which was two thousand nineteen, which was only seventeen billion. And this year. Thus far, we have 63 billion that's already been issued in the first couple of months, and there's another 50 billion worth of IPOs that are in the pipeline for SPACs. The supply side of the equation is also shifting very quickly, and at the same point in time, as we go through March, April, May, and then we really start to see it peak out in June. A lot of the lockups that were made for insiders and for warrant holders for these facts, they unlock and about 60% of the equity value uh, for, for a lot of these ends up coming into the market. So a very similar thing happened in 2000 uh, where you had all of the dot-com IPOs. The supply became so rich with uh, unlocks 
that uh, the market was just flooded with stock. So it may just be the perfect storm uh, for a short setup where you get this rise that comes out of the incremental demand that comes from stimulus. And, you know, we, we see a rally, maybe not to the highs we saw in January, but then followed by a massive amount of issuance and an exhaustion. Uh, and then, you know, what could be a pretty significant collapse or alternatively, maybe it's all, we're already done. Uh, maybe the the incremental demand from new issuance, people, enough people have been burned uh, and enough incremental supply is coming on that you, we may see a very muted rally, if any. Yeah, it's hard to predict that because it's in some ways found money. And we've talked about this, I think, each time we've we've brought up the stimulus checks. It's it's sort of feels like free money. You're betting with the house's money, so to speak, at which point it's psychologically kind of unburdens you from uh, the loss. And maybe I think this makes people riskier because it feels as if that uh, that sense of ownership is a little less with this. Like you haven't put in the effort earning, you know, you don't sort of imagine yourself and earn that money and standing to lose it. It's more like, here's found money. Here's this free check. I'm going to I'm going to do something with it. And um, it probably enhances people's risk tolerance. I think that's true. And then you mix that in with uh, loss aversion, where people don't want to take a loss. They don't want to seem foolish. Uh, and so they just stick with uh, whatever purchase that they've made. Now, with an option, it can just expire worthless and you have no choice. If it's actually stock that they're holding, uh, it can take a very long term time to unwind. And in fact, the work that we've done suggests that once a bubble actually breaks, uh, when you see a 50% drawdown from the peak, uh, it continues to decline for the next two years as people eventually capitulate. Maybe the stock fluctuates up and they have a new benchmark. They're like, okay, well, I need to get back to even, which is perhaps a higher price. It doesn't get to that point. It falls again. And so the new benchmark is that peak, that, that, lower, that lower high that they've seen. And they're like, okay, well, if it gets back to there, I'll suffer a loss. But, you know, I, I think it can get back and then I'll sell. Yeah, there's a lot of anchoring effects, aren't there, where whatever the prior value had been, it, it sometimes uh, becomes difficult to decouple that. You, you become fixated on a certain previous high and that, that timing that a- adds into people's sense of what may happen. And it, it feels like a slippery slope if you're looking at it from the outside, but within it, it may feel very real that it could reach that previous high. Yes. And the reality is, is that you're not alone. We've talked about this analogy before that uh, when you, when you own a stock and you want to sell uh, and things aren't going so well, it's kind of like being in a movie theater that's on fire and uh, you know, you want to get up and leave. But the problem is you've got to find somebody else to take your seat. That is a problem, yes. <laughs> All right, so let's uh, let's talk a little more about the EV bubble and what's what's happening now with it. So you know, issuance continues to pick up around the EVs. The lockups, uh, are, you know, the schedule is kind of hastening. Uh, we did see Nikola, which was a pretty uh, popular EV, and there were some allegations of fraud uh, associated with that one. It was written up by, I believe, Citron. And that stock was very early on uh, in the EV bubble. That happened, I believe, in the first year, really peaked out in the, in the first half of last year. 
And since the lockup has been released and insiders are free to sell whenever they wish, uh, and the stock, I, th- I believe it peaked out in the hundreds uh, and it has been low as low as 14 uh, and then bounced back up to 24. And uh, now I think after the sell-off that we saw this last week, it's at around uh, $15. But it was it was very early in the process. So, you know, the more the earlier IPOs will have their, uh, you know, SPAC IPOs will have their uh, unlocks come off sooner. Uh, and Hylion is another example uh, where that lockup has come off and you've seen more selling. Uh, so with the EV trade, uh, if you take the entire basket that we focused on last time, uh, that basket is down 42% from its prior peak. Uh, we had an interesting day this last week where uh, the market had been selling off, largely associated with higher interest rates uh, because more expensive stocks, and you, mainly you saw this in technology and you did see a lot of it in SPACs. Uh, and since most of these SPACs have little or no revenue, just a business plan and a dream, uh, the effect of higher interest rates is more pronounced upon them because all of the benefit is in the future, which is subject to a discount rate. Uh, so when you see the 10-year go higher, which is typically the discount rate people use, and they place an equity premium on top of that 10-year uh, to get a uh, an assessment of value, not that that type of analysis is extensively being done by individual investors that are buying SPACs based off of narratives, but to the extent institutions are involved, they do take a lot of that to account. Some individuals as well, but it's 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 more more rare. Um, so as interest rates have risen in anticipation of an opening of the economy and perhaps higher inflation in the future, higher economic growth, then a lot of these growth stocks and and SPACs, more speculative issues. Uh, that are uh, have their value in the future to the extent it's there. Uh, they have all come under a lot of pressure, uh, but we may see fits and starts of this uh, because markets do tend to flick, fluctuate. We get an inflow that comes from uh, the stimulus, which will probably end up happening in late March uh, or may, who knows, it may, maybe even sooner than that. And I think that ends up back in the stock market. We see a new rally. Uh, but I think we're very close to where you can call the EV bubble as ha- having been popped. Yeah, and I've seen more articles appearing on it, which is an indicator that awareness is growing and maybe it's it's getting to that point. Yeah, and certainly, uh, you know, the, the cadence of the stock issuance from these uh, various EV issuers will just pick up and we'll see it really crescendo, I believe, in June. Uh, so... I think the opportunity is there, but you've got to have some, you know, on the short side, opportunity to short this, this, this phenomenon. Uh, you've got to have some uh, awareness that the new stimulus could lead to a rather sharp rally. And who knows? I mean, it could reach new highs. It's not unthinkable. But I think that the amount of uh, stock that has to be pushed has grown ever larger. And you have to contend with the fact that you have a lot of people that participated in the rise that we saw in January, that spurt in January, uh, that are underwater. And that, and you know, as we as the stocks rise to the levels where those people had their entry points, 
you'll see a lot of them take their their positions off. 2021 continues to offer interesting new twists along the way. Yeah, it, 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 it watching it on a day-to-day basis, it'll make you a little seasick uh, because, you know, I can tell you at SaberPoint, we have seen throughout this last week, uh, our portfolio intraday would be up or down 150 basis points, uh, which is usually about a month's worth of returns for us historically. We tend not to have a lot of volatility. But at one point in time, I think we were down almost 2%. And then at one point, we were up at 1.5%. Ended up closing the day up, up a little bit more than 1%. That's a big move for us. And so we see it on a day-to-day basis. And as portfolio manager, you know, I, I tend to, to pay more more attention than the rest of the team. But we're talking with other managers as well. Everybody looks at this Alice in Wonderland market and, you know, continues to be uh, surprised and astonished at the type of volatility that we see in a number of these issues. Yeah, I guess uh, we always think in analogies a lot on the podcast. I'm reminded of... um, being like a sea captain in maybe the 1700s, trying to project, is there really land up ahead? And what, <laughs> what type of winds are going to blow in? And there are new, it's almost like being some kind of, in, a, in like an El Nino year in the 1700s where anything could happen. And there's all kinds of narratives that, that might be uh, possible, but yet the wind, winds could change very quickly. And it's shrouded in mist. Uh, <laughs> you're kind of—is is that really an island, you know, there? And are we going to go off course from it uh, in the in the coming weeks to months? It reminds me. Uh, I was watching uh, this this Vikings show on uh, Amazon Prime, and uh, they kept crows in the boat. They would, they you know, and they'd release the crows to see if they came back. That was indicative of the fact that there was no land. Right. The crows fly off. And if they can't find land, they're going to come back to the boat because that's the only place where they can actually rest. Yeah, that seems appropriate because you have to kind of wait and see. There's (laughs) nothing that gives easy, quick feedback that, yes, you're absolutely on the money here. Everything has a delay that you're sort of waiting to see. Right. For us, you know, we've been on the journey uh, for some time uh, following this bubble, uh, and it's been quite a storm. Uh, We've released the crows. And they haven't come back yet, so we're <laughs> close to the shore. I think I might hear squawking out in the very, very distance, or it might be in my own mind. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right, let's wrap up here. Uh, we've talked about bubbles once again and continue to watch this volatile situation play out in early 2021. All right. Talk to you again soon. Thank you for spending your time listening to the Mental Models Podcast. Content matters because your brain does not exist in a job. Please subscribe and like Mental Models Podcast. The five-starred book, Understanding Behavioral Bias, A Guide to Improving Financial Decision Making, is available through Amazon. This book will help you overcome the biases that are keeping you from investing success. The Mental Models Podcast can be found on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Overcast, iHeartRadio, and Stitcher. Please subscribe and thank you for listening.